Hello and welcome to Safari Conversations, the Singita podcast. Even though we've been around for 30 years, we're relatively new to podcasting. But we are storytellers by nature and we've got so much to share with you. Alongside our conservation partners, we've been busy exploring and protecting Africa's wilderness. So join us as we unpack inspiring, fun, and sometimes crazy stories where you'll meet our incredible people and learn all about the special places in Africa that we call home. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Hello and welcome to all our listeners. My name is Ross Cooper and I'm the resident photographer for Singita Game Reserve. Singita is a conservation and ecotourism brand offering guests exceptional safari experiences at 15 luxury award-winning lodges, camps in four different countries throughout Africa. In this episode, I'll be talking to Tara Shoup, who is a well-known humanitarian photographer and video storyteller. We'll be talking about visual storytelling in ecotourism, as well as regenerative travel, along with how our careers are similar yet on different continents, and we'll probably add in a little bit about photographic gear and how it's all changing. Tara, let me start with you. How did you get into this career? I love how professional that sounded. Congratulations. I feel like I should have like some beautiful answer to that. But yeah, I don't know. I like started playing around with film. I took like a class in what we call high school. I don't know if you guys call it high school. But yeah, I just instantly was like, oh, I really love this. This is super cool, but definitely will not turn into a career. And so then like go to college and I started taking business classes thinking I'm going to be a professional at some point. And this is what professionals do. They take normal classes. And that just like never worked out for me. So then I started, (laughs) I switched to art classes. I ended up in a major with visual communications, which is basically design and then studio art. And the whole time I was dabbling with photography on the side, still messing a lot with film and then got like my first job at a design firm in Omaha. And that was kind of the first Omaha, Nebraska, which is in the middle of nowhere. And that kind of started opening up all these other skill sets. Like I was learning retouching and just kind of like processes behind bringing projects to life. And that was like a huge growing step for me. But then I like was still always messing with photography on the side and the love for like travel and photography, like I think think started kind of coming on like when I was doing like volunteer stuff, which I always hate saying that, but we can talk about that with our ecotourism stuff. But yeah, I just always knew I had this passion for that, but I wasn't sure how to get there. And it just feels like it was this long road of like each step. I quit that job, moved to New York and started doing like contract work. It was still all like, I think I'm going to go into like portraits and fashion. I feel like every photographer goes through this like fashion idea. But New York was kind of the beginning of contract work, where I'm learning this like idea of not working for a single client or with a full time job. And that was a huge growing step. And then, yeah, I don't know, like somewhere along the line, like I started getting these jobs where I was getting to travel and incorporate 
this love for photography. And I think that was where it all just felt like it suddenly started aligning. And then you add like video to it and this storytelling that I think I always kind of loved, but didn't know how to bring to life. And that's where it feels like it was just this messy, long, like, don't know where it ever aligned. But when you look back at it, they all were supporting each other and like created the style that I have. And that's a long answer, but somehow I am here now. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a pretty interesting career. And I think that we very much on the same path. It's always, there's very similar comparatives there. Obviously, me now currently sitting in Africa at the moment as the sun is sort of dipping down to our western horizon and you sitting in the US. And when you talk about art, I came from an artistic background. I excelled in art in high school. And once I left school, I actually wanted to pursue being an artist. And then I realized that you only really make money when uh, when you pass away as an artist. You tend to make the big bucks. And I uh, tried to pursue my art in, in sort of following what I really enjoyed and that was drawing wildlife and uh, sort of wildlife portraits and I ended up sketching and sculpturing and my time sort of moved a little bit further afield where I had this opportunity to actually work in the bush as a safari guide and I did that for a few years and absolutely loved it and eventually met a young lady at the time. I was probably young as well, like a hundred years ago, <laughs> just kidding, but uh I met a young lady at the time and she said, uh, why don't we travel the globe? And I thought this is a perfect opportunity to do it. And we thought we'd do it for six months and it ended up being 11 years as we moved across the globe in various areas. And I had forgotten about art. I totally stopped doing art at all. I was just fortunate enough that my wife at the time, uh, Lindsay, bought me a, a photographic digital camera as film cameras had already gone past that time. And so I sort of just started exploring my art through photography and Probably a little bit of serendipity. I managed to fly on a plane from New York to Africa. And while sitting next to one of the ladies next to me, I realized that we both had sort of come from this background of being in the bush. And the more I spoke to her, she had brought up this company named Sangeeta. And through a little bit of, uh, I guess, luck, if I would say it, she handed me a business card. And I realized that uh, this is my start of my career in Singida and I came back to Africa and became a safari guide here and continued working as a safari guide and much like you, you never know kind of where you end up and funny enough, I just a bit of, I guess, fortuitous luck again, I managed to fall into the role of resident photographer. I think I actually should go play the lotto with all this luck, actually. hopefully <laughs> one day I'll pan out but you know, that's sort of where my time came along and now being in Singida, I've been working for them for almost 10 years but I think that you know, looking at our areas where we work, uh, there's obviously some very close comparatives. And I just recently traveled to the US, but um, I wish that I had an opportunity to travel a little bit more because there's some amazing destinations in the US. And I was actually thinking if we had to switch places right now, <laughs> where in Africa would you head to and what would you like to photograph? And I, I, I already know my answer because I already have that sort of one of my dreams is getting across there. But I thought maybe I just want to hear from you because I know that you visited Africa. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it's, as you know, such a massive continent. I It's like, I instantly thought of something in the desert, but I, I actually just always wanted to go to Cape Town. I've never actually been. And I think that's more of just a personal, that would be like family vacation. I want to just go hang out in Cape Town. 
Photo-wise, I think I have always wanted to go to Madagascar. I don't know why, other than I think there's like old photo books at some point. I probably sat and looked through and saw like just some of the ways the indigenous tribes there. I don't know. I just want to go and see what I find and have no idea. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things is that I would jump at a chance to go back to the US now that I've fallen into photography um, more on a professional level. I think when I was there, I was very much exploring and probably watching YouTube tutorials to try and understand my camera. Uh, But one thing coming from a safari guide background, I probably understand my subjects far better than I did my my photography at the time. And uh, when I look back at it now, I sort of think if I got to the US, I'd probably head to go and photograph wolves in Yellowstone or um, even bears I think some of the great national parks out there. But I think coming from your your photography interest is more sort of humanitarian and, and sort of video storytelling. You know, the drive to Africa would always be wildlife. Would you ever come across and particularly look for a certain species and sort of maybe phone me and say, hey, Ross, do you mind guiding me? <laughs> I mean, for me, and I, I call it still portraits, as I think you would too, but animal portraiture is still feels quite new to me. I feel like I more pursue the stories that I hear about within people's stories. But I think what has been really beautiful is um, since kind of entering the conservation world is seeing how important the human stories are within conservation. Like you always think of Oh, I can't wait to get that epic elephant eye shot or something. Like, these are definitely things that I went into. Like, oh my gosh, like I've never, I had never got to experience things like that before. And when you get to have those experiences in Africa, it is something that it is unworldly. It really is. So yeah, when you have a guide there to help you give that unique experience, first off, you're going to be who I call. But second, I would then be like, okay, well, what human story? I think my brain always goes to what human stories are elevating these animal stories. So, like, I I think that that is what I still call to as my strong suit or anytime animal stories, portraits, they still feel like, like I look at your stuff and I'm just like drool over the lighting and how you capture and, and make them feel human. I think you have to approach it in that way. And I think you do where you wait and you give it patience and you're not just invading what for me would be people's spaces and you're not invading animal spaces. And yeah, you just do it with an art. I was going to ask you like how your art has shaped your work. Like since you came from being like, I look at your stuff as art forms and they don't just look like photos, which they are, they're art. I think it's hard to call photos art. Do you feel that way? I think you're right. I mean, I think photos do resemble art. I think that there's a portrayal of an emotion. Uh, there's a feeling. There's people that sort of connect to photos. And I think they're much the same as as videos. And I think I always knew when I took a photo what I was looking for before I actually took the photo. And unfortunately, it never looked out. It never looked the same when I looked at the back of the screen or when I downloaded it to the computer and I was incredibly disappointed thinking, well, I'd seen something and I just wasn't able to capture it. And it was just a matter of perhaps either learning my subject better or realizing that I needed to take my time um, and wait for the right moment and not be 
and be far more discerning of when I can take a picture and what would be the best time to take a picture instead of just shooting all the time. And I think you touched a little bit on it in terms of conservation. I think it's such a, an important topic to mention amongst photographers and videographers is that we sort of go out and we were able to go into these very remote areas or locations or destinations where I would say that we entice people to visit those locations and visit those destinations based on what we film or what we capture in terms of our imagery. What was your latest project that you did that you sort of went out in that direction of humanitarian? So I just got back from over a month of traveling. Uh, half of it was family time, which was really great. But right before that, which I was home for like, I think 24 hours to repack bags and um, baby clothes. Uh, I was in Tanzania. I was on the Grumetti Reserves doing stories for the Grumetti Fund, um, which is in partnership with Singida. After that, I was also doing a, a water crisis story in northern Tanzania, almost to the Rwandan border there. So my work can vary from... I mean, I think all things can be tied to conservation, but in a lot of ways, I focus on personal stories. So like the water crisis story, for example, I would often work with um, the marketing team and I would be like, okay, so here's how I approach things. And I would tell them how I like to approach things ethically and we, you know, are not just marching in somewhere and gathering content. And so there is a certain there. I think that's one thing that maybe people don't know is that you're not just like jet setting in somewhere and marching up to um, some awesome landscape or village or person and just whipping out your camera and taking a photo. There's a lot of pre-planning and consideration and conversations that have happened with individuals before you have even arrived. For me, I always make sure I'm getting uh, written and translated consent from individuals, which I think is very important. So I think you're right, Tara. I think one of the big things is that people don't tend to understand, I guess, some of the challenges in terms of content creating or even uh, being sensitive to areas that you would go into, particularly when you sort of telling a story through video content or photography and especially when it's a sensitive area i'll give you an example recently i've been documenting a short series which is going to be a long series actually it's going to be on a young rhino that's become an orphan from a recent poaching incident that took place and this orphan is now in a rehabilitation center and you know one of the things is that conservation goes far beyond the borders of where you are in terms of the reserve or, or, or the area in terms of the community or the, the, the rural community of where you're staying. And in my regard, I traveled out to a rehabilitation center where this young rhino calf is kept. And I too, much like you were saying that you have to be sensitive to the people and you sort of don't just jump on a plane and arrive in these destinations and start just photographing and doing video content without consent of people that are there and having respect not only for their cultures, but in terms of their safety and security as well, especially in my regard, because that young rhino calf is obviously kept at a high-profile location and obviously kept at a safe location as well. Um, so I do understand sort of from a, a regenerative tourism perspective, I think 
we always want to go in as photographers, and I'm speaking on your behalf here as well, but I do believe all photographers do think like this, and I think they should, is that when you do go into locations that you almost would want to leave the destination um, far better than when you arrived in the sense that whatever document um, or content that you've documented throughout that time, you would showcase to the world either through a story or through uh, photographic images. And that would bring highlight to those areas and the importance of those areas as well. So I think it's a, it's a huge, a huge aspect from uh, photographers. And I, I guess that sort of leads in. I've been talking a little bit about um, video content. And I know that you do quite a bit of video content. Um, and I, I sort of feel like uh, recently I've been pushed in that direction where video has become far more reaching in terms of our social media audience than what a photograph has become. And from a person that does video constantly, would you say that in your social media, you've seen that change as well, that there's things that are changing, it's evolving a little bit more? Yeah, I 100% feel like most photographers I know are pushing into the video realm. I feel fortunate that I kind of I kind of was forced into it. Now it's been, I th- I think, five or six years that it was literally like a client going, well, we, we really would love, I mean, this is how I think it starts for everyone. We really would love um, some video stuff as well. And I was like going, oh, okay, well, I did just get this new camera that lets me take 4K video. So it was like me taking photos and then literally just flipping to video and like taking video. And I went into it with a very still like portrait mindset. Um, There was like, I love like Wes Anderson's style of like a scene that is still, but the subject moving through it. And yes, like I, I, I feel like everyone is being forced to do video and it's a really interesting thing as an artist, like kind of where, I don't know, like it's, it's the problem solving thing, like where I think it can be a really cool creative problem when you're being forced to, for example, all your content become reels. And I've seen, um, actually just today, I saw a client who had taken one of my photos and they made it into this really creative reel with text. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, and it's this creative problem that we're all like being forced to kind of look at just the way that when Instagram came about, you know, people, some people just started posting, um, pictures of their breakfast, which that was me. And then there were people that went out and they started curating it and making it something unique. And so I think that is what's so beautiful about creators and artists and that we are the ones that start problem solving with these things. And, and we inspire others on how we're all going to move forward. I think you're right in a a lot of those aspects. I think the tough part is that initially I was a photographer. So when I, and and still photographer, but have moved more into the video realm and it's far more difficult in a video realm because Mm. when you take a picture, the picture tells the emotion, the picture sort of brings you into that field. It sort of captivates you there. It's almost like you've paused for a moment and look at it and sort of, I think I would have audiences or even guests that follow Sagita social media sort of wonder like how did I get that picture what you know where was I how did I get on eye level what 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 was the procedure in getting all of that and you try and be as authentic as possible to creating that experience and video 
it delves into so many more things. Not only are you with a moving subject or moving people or moving aspect of what's happening in your frame, but there's also a sound aspect to it as well, which is really tough because, you know, you've got to capture the sound that matches your video without people talking in the background and trying to mix it all together and, you know, create something beautiful and emotive. So I, I definitely find the video side of things is probably a little bit harder, uh, but I do feel that we're all being pushed a little bit further into that unfamiliar sort of territory. And as nice as it is, it's it, it does gain a, a greater audience. But I think uh, much like photographers, yourself, myself, I've, uh, the photographers I tend to follow, and I, I follow some really great photographers, but I also see some photographers that sort of use their platforms to gain as many likes and as many followers without being as authentic or without being as real. And I think it's really important to showcase your real side. And I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a point where you have an audience that will follow you because of that. They, they know that it's, it's authentic and real. And I, I, a lot of people sort of think that there is a, I guess, a, a time where being professional that you never make an error. There's never a, there's never a, you, you never make a mistake. Everything looks perfect because we've had to adapt to all these changes. But I've had a few, failed epic fails actually that have happened <laughs> during my photography and I, I probably could have a whole podcast on on epic fails and I'll probably share one with you now but uh, I, when I was when I was guiding as a safari guide I sure hope that the guests that I guided are not listening to the the podcast because I'm sure they'll realize what had happened <laughs> well I was just thinking when you <laughs> When you mentioned audio, I was like, don't mention audio because that is like my biggest fails with video. Well, there's lots that like, that, like you said, we could do a whole yeah. episode of just I, fails. I think, I think there could be a podcast <laughs> on complete fails, but uh, with my, with my story that, that happened with uh, these guests that I had taken out, amazing guests, they were really cool. I think they were really nice because they were so forgiving to the fact that they had found out that I was a photographer before I became the resident photographer. They had realized that I had a sense of interest in photography, but I never really delved into portraiture of people. And so I was asked if I could take a family photo of the folks that came out. And this entire family had traveled out and they brought their grandparents and their grandkids and there was two different families and there was probably about 12 or 15 people. And we met um, throughout our safari, I can hear you laughing already at this. And we met throughout our safari. I found this beautiful <laughs> destination where the sun was about to to set on the Sand River where we stay. And I parked the vehicle. And we all got out. I grabbed my camera, sort of started setting people up. I could envisualize what was going to be these beautiful images that I was going to give to them. It was the start of a new career for me. <laughs> and as I was about to take the picture, I realized that I had forgotten my memory card which was sitting in my memory card reader in my computer. And even though I had two cameras, I had forgotten no. both memory cards at the time. So, you know, people, what they see on social media in terms of photographers, it looks beautiful. It's amazing. The content is amazing. There are some epic fails, and I'm sure that you have some of your own. Well, I knew right away, You like that's why I was laughing, is that, I feel like anytime a photographer starts a horror story, we're all on the edge of our seat because we've all done it. Like we've all 
I mean, that's where it's like, you can't pick just one. Like I've done forgotten memory card. I've forgotten a battery. I have, and, and in the type of work we're doing, it's not like we're just right next to, um, well, for us, a target or a quick trip to go grab an extra battery or something. You're just like, there is no other option. <laughs> I feel like my list is too long, but the ones that stick out, um, there's so many like fun travel just funny things that go wrong all the time. But one that I actually was thinking of was actually about like the health of, because there's too many of the bad like technical things. We can't talk about those. Um, that I just feel like when things go wrong, like someone gets sick or something like that. Um, one of the ones was I got a ton of mosquito bites in. We were, we were out in, uh, Niger and we were in the middle of nowhere. We had a, military convoy escorting us and it was like everything was a ve- and it was during covid so everyone's scared of covid so i was like i can't ha- i oh, this can't be covid um but i just woke up and i felt like absolute death i don't think i've ever felt like that we don't think it's malaria but something is going on and i was like guys i know our days are limited i felt like we were on some like mad max journey and i hated the fact that i was like this weak link and so it just took everything out of me to be finally like okay i'm going to call the fact that i am too sick to do what we need to do in this extreme heat today and it was just funny because i don't know if you know what a prefet is but he's kind of like royalty <laughs> and he or like i guess a mayor or a governor but like far more important and so he had known we were coming and he heard that i was sick and it turned into this like kind of hilarious thing where i got put up in like the one hotel in this middle of nowhere area in niger and he put me in his chandelier room which looked like with CNN on a TV. And I just laid there for 24 hours and got through this like crazy sickness of whatever kind it was with the prefet like coming and checking on me every now and then. And it just, these are the type of things that like, I don't know, I feel like people don't quite understand, but it only happens when you're traveling to remote places or doing things in this type of work where, I don't know, it's just fun. It's like, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You never know what's going to happen and where you're going to end up. You might just end up with no memory cards. But I've also learned that you make a mistake <laughs> once, you're probably not going to do it again. I think that's the that's the key right there is that, you know, you you tend to find that you suddenly have a, a shot list that you have ticked off, you mark off a, a, a sort of a, a list of photographic equipment you need to have at those particular points as well, which is huge. And I think people look at – um, photographers, professional photographers, and and even upcoming photographers as sort of inspiring people. And I think one of the changes that's happening in terms of people being inspired by different content is not only how content is changing in terms of what we create, but where it's being published. Have you got a TikTok account? I refuse. <laughs> I mean, like I shouldn't, but it's... I don't know. It just feels like I'm past that point. So... <laughs> I, th- I think it's one of those things where it's tough to keep on top of. You know, the more accounts that start opening up, we tend to drive ourselves to these various accounts. And you almost feel like at some stages you start to either spread yourself thin or you might be missing out. So you never really know. And you, you try and create a good base 
of, I would say, varying demographic through the different social media um, platforms that we have. So it's, I guess it's as much as it's evolving for us, it might be stagnant for some where they just sort of stay on the one or they stay on the two. But I think when you're creating content, it's very difficult to have an upkeep to it. I, I don't have a, a schedule or a calendar that I, I keep posting things. I, as soon as I find a gap in the day that I'll post something um, and you sort of wish that you could share and, and um, I guess, bring your content to a far greater audience as much as possible. And I think that's always going to be a, a, a tough aspect is to try and invest time on social media as much as possible. Are you on TikTok? I can't remember. No, I'm not on TikTok. I've been meaning to get on TikTok. Do you it. think you'll get on it? I don't know. I think it's <laughs> there's there's something there. I'm I'm probably going to look at it. Uh, I think that there's definitely something there. Um, I, I try and focus quite a bit on Instagram. Um, that's kind of where I go to. The content that I produce for Sangeeta is so varied. It it does have to go to different platforms. And obviously, we have a, a vast demographic of guests to not only a vast demographic around the world. Uh, certain people might be more influenced on TikTok than what they are on Instagram. And it's interesting to see that throughout my time as a safari guide, Instagram was sort of up and coming. And I don't think I even was on Instagram at the time when I was guiding. And a lot of guests that I guided many, many years ago have now joined Instagram and have called on me and messaged me and said, Hey, we're on Instagram. We love following and they, you know, following various other sort of platforms now, which is really good. So it's nice to see them commenting on uh, some of the images that I end up posting or the video content I end up posting on Sagita because they always mention me. And I think one of the things I wanted to touch on is that a bit more about equipment. I know that you've been shooting Nikon much the same as me. Are you jumping yeah. ship to anything else? Ross, <laughs> now's, I'm trying. Now's, now's the time. I know. If you could see, like, um, if we had a video of this, like, behind me, I have a shelf of all of my Nikon that I am relocating. But the thing is, I so, yes, I've left the Nikon ship, well, Physically, emotionally, I'm still torn. It's like I've left an ex and I just can't stop thinking about him. And I just am like, I'm trying so hard to, <laughs> to love Sony. And I've been shooting with it more now for my photos. I think the big thing was I could do it video wise. And I told myself logistically, it just makes sense um, for me to travel with not mixed lenses and things like that because I've done that and it's a total mess so but I still just miss my Nikon are you changing because your content is changing are you getting a different demand on content <laughs> uh yeah I think this kind of goes yeah to the that video topic for me the more I was pushing Nikon with my video I was running into not massive hurdles, but I, I was just kind of like, I see that if I'm going to keep growing in the video side of this, that I should just switch to Sony because there were things like overheating and how long you could actually record and things like that, that were just very basic things that Nikon hadn't hit that yet with their mirrorless series. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to jump to Sony with my video. And I still love the imagery with my Nikon. So for a while, I was doing both for an assignment. I was using my Nikon for photo and my Sony just for video. 
And now I think it was more just, I think, purely logistically on my end, like to pack that much gear with mixed lenses and stuff. I think it was just knowing that moving forward, I could adjust and make my bag not twice its size. It's kind of, it was more of a preference, I think. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing. I think we always, you know, I'm in the same boat. I, I literally am trying to move across to Sony purely for the fact of how my content is changing. And that's why I was wondering if you're doing exactly the same. Yeah. Is that the content has become far more varied than just taking photographs anymore. And my Nikon gear is incredibly heavy. And I'm just about to head off to the Serengeti Girls Run later this month. And I know that you experienced it uh, last year, I think it was, that you were out there. And mm. I'm currently packing my bags to head up there. And the challenge I have is that I'm actually – I feel like I'm bringing too much. I'm just carrying too much. And that's where you sort of just want to find this really simplistic version of photographic gear. And I was hoping maybe you had some advice for me on what's your all-rounder <laughs> lens. And I get that question a lot. So I want to hear your answer. <laughs> No, well, I only think this is funny because I just in Nairobi had met with another film guy and I was having this conversation where I was like, okay, because this was before I'd committed to the Sony R as what will, I guess, be my main camera. But I was like, yeah, it'll minimalize everything. And he goes, "Uh uh-huh. And I was like, what? Like, why is this so funny? And he's like, because you're going to replace it with something else. And in some ways, it's so true. Like, we have a mindset of like, we're going to make our bag, you know, that much more minimal. Well, soon it'll be a, a medium format or something else is going to end up filling that space. So it's a very temporary, we all know. We're never going to just have hardly any gear. But... Since I am in this new mindset, I have to say I used to be very all prime lenses, which is the pile of Nikon lenses that I am probably selling if anyone wants to buy them, Um, (laughs) that I was very like, I'm going to have an F 1.4, 1.8 everything lens, which we do know this makes a difference, obviously, but I was very all, my whole Nikon lineup was prime lenses, except for my 70 to 200. Now, moving to Sony, I'm actually quite excited about the idea of, like, I have a a 24 to 70 now um, that I'm playing with. And, like, I do love the flexibility, like, to go um, to Norway with one camera and one. I took that lens, the the 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200. That's all I took. I felt a bit naked. It just felt like my bag was too light. And to go on a hike with the 70 to 200 and feel like it didn't weigh 50 pounds, it was all just very weird to me. But I'm, I'm evolving in all of that. I feel like I'm I'm learning that when I'm out working with this new direction of content, that it is actually more valuable for me to be able to make changes quickly than to like feel like I'm losing out on something because I'm trying to like find the right setup or lens and that having that simple setup is far more important. Do you carry two cameras? Do you still carry your Nikon and your Sony? So that's the goal is to not carry three. I actually usually, and I probably will always travel with three uh, just because you never know what's going to happen. I've had things go wrong um, where a camera was just out and I had to rely on a backup. So I always will have three. I usually have with the way that I shoot is depending on the client and the project. If it's just me shooting, 
which I've had a lot of people ask if I will take on video and photo on my own. And yes, I do. But it all just goes into the pre-planning of like how much time, how much content. And I obviously move a lot slower when it's just me. But I would have always one camera fully designated to video. So that camera is never going to switch back and forth between photo and video. And then I have two photos often fully set for photo. There's something about like training your eye over time. This is how I feel with that. I feel like I can more quickly look at a scene and know what it is used for and what is best. Is it a video scene or a photo scene? And so that's the first step. And then the second step is staging that and capturing it. And going up now to the Serengeti Girls Run, just sort of starting with the storytelling of videography and, and photography. And one of the, the things there with the Serengeti Girls Run, I came back to it because it's such a really great uh, women's empowerment project that's taking place up there. And I know that when you were there, it was a little, probably a little bit more challenging personally, but uh, I think that you, you wanted to create sort of not only the emotion of, of what's taking place, and with a prime lens or a long telephoto lens, it doesn't quite do it justice. And so I'm actually going to be heading up with a 24 millimeter 1.4 Sony lens. So I look forward to sharing some of my images with you. Is that all you're taking? Uh, no. <laughs> my bag is pretty heavy and uh, Lindsay's carrying quite a bit already as well. So I am going to be leaving a 600 f4 lens behind, which I've primarily used oh. for a lot of my wildlife photography. And I'm going to just try and aim for the fact that I'm going to get a little bit closer to the wildlife and I'm going to try and take more of a landscape, more of a scenic shot. And one of the, the key responsibilities as a resident photographer is to do some photographic training amongst the guides. And so vehicle positioning will be a key component on this trip. That's so important. It is night and day when you have a guide that knows. Exactly. I think it's a huge aspect when it comes to taking safari photographs it's always nice to have somebody on the ground that can also assist you and give you a heads up on certain things on when things take place and i think back to the opportunity that i've been doing with this rhino orphan and the the calf and knowing a little bit more insight allows me to pick up the right camera and the right lens at the right time and so it helps a huge amount Absolutely. And I feel like the girls run, I think what was really nice was beforehand, I had heard of this girl's story, Esther's story, that she was living in a village nearby and that she had taken on running just as like something that she learned um, was making her healthier. And we learned like, you know, her headaches went away and there were some just awesome things about her story that I really loved. And, um, on the Grimetti side, they were like, you know, like, what if we, what if we told the story of Esther because she's going to be funded to run in last year's, um, Serengeti girl run. And I just love that. And I think to be able to have someone kind of help you with the pre-planning going in and with the video, I guess I just learned like you, it's so much harder to run and gun a story and to have like some pre-planning done ahead of time is so, so helpful versus just like walking into a situation and kind of making it up as you go. It's, it helps so much with afterward. Cause I do all my own editing as well. Although it's really difficult because I feel like I also go off of when I see something, it either 
sparks new inspiration or not, which still happens with video. But the one thing I was going to say that I love just really quick about Esther's story was that she had said a quote, there is a saying that a person's fate is within their own hands. And that that was something that inspired her to keep running because she realized her fate was in her own hands. So I just wanted to say that I loved that about her interview. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful story and a beautiful interview. I watched it day before yesterday, and um, I really enjoyed the aspect of bringing the the empowerment of women, I think, uh, forward. It's really important. Now, I've probably never deleted an image in my Lightroom catalog as an editor because I always feel there's an opportunity to go back and look at a photo and remember that feeling and be able to edit it according to that feeling. So I'm not very ruthless, and you'd say that I fill up hard drives quite quickly. That's exactly how I am. And I, I met someone else and was working with them and they were talking about how they oh, they delete after every, and I still, I was like, no, 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 no. And I think it's because I have, yeah, that same mindset where even if I deliver something and that I, I go, okay, that's all done. That's great. Everyone's happy. I will keep now. Um, I am a hard drive hoarder because I don't delete video as well, which is a whole other, like you said, conversation of just what the future is of content. And as things get bigger and bigger, file size wise, I mean, you can go what they call hard drive broke because you just, I mean, I don't want to delete things because, um, for example, like I've gone back and worked with Grametti now. This is the third time. I am so glad that I have that mindset because if I continue to create stories with them, it is so nice to be able to have like basically a full catalog of content. And for you, like, you know, doing Singita all under the same client, you know, I'm working I work for multiple different clients, but it's like, I hope to always create relationships to continue working with them. So I would hate to ever get rid of something that could have been like, oh, we didn't shoot that on that assignment, but we have it from the last one. We'll pull a little snippet in, especially for video. That's so, so helpful. That's interesting how we do very much the same job, but a completely different opposite sides of the world is that I keep particularly video content all the time because there's pieces that I can go back to and I can draw from. And even my photographs, I can draw from at a, at a certain point because maybe I may not experience good weather throughout my, my project that I'm going to do. So I can, I can go back and draw from catalogs where I've got good weather and re look at the images that I took. And there might be something within that that was far better than what I had on a more recent assignment. So it's, uh, Probably a really good point to note, and I think that we could probably talk all night in regards to our, I guess, our, our fails, but also things that we've learned along the way. And I think it's uh, really good to be able to talk about them because, you know, the upcoming photographers that are, would be perhaps listening to this podcast or even potential safari guests or safari guests that have come out on safari before would realize that you know these points of keeping your images and going back to them just kind of brings back that memory of where you were at which time you were at and i do it exactly the same for the national parks that i visited in the u.s thanks again tara it's been fascinating speaking to you and i really enjoyed our chat stay safe and travel and enjoy your journeys further around the globe with your camera in hand Thank you so much, Ross. It was so good to chat with you. Well, thank you for listening. If you want to follow other episodes of the podcast series Safari Conversations, please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from or on our website at singita.com. 
Thank you for listening. If you want to follow other episodes of our podcast series, Safari Conversations, please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from or on our website at singida.com.